Imagine being buried alive inside your own body. As rescue workers and loved ones work furiously to save your life, they are unable to hear the words that are so clearly formed in your brain, but unable to manifest from your lips. On the podcast today, we hear the terrifying and ultimately triumphant tale of Michelle Duffy, who, at 29 years of age, suffered an ischemic stroke and bounced back weeks later to finish a 50-mile gravel race. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Bousseau, coming to you from the sun-kissed hills of Colorado. It's November 19th, 2020, and this is episode 11. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Troy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We have Michelle Duffy here, who is the uh, marketing director for Off-Road Events at Lifetime Fitness. And I asked Michelle to come on. Um, you have a very an extremely, extraordinarily unique story for a 29-year-old, uh, active, very healthy, fit person. You recently uh, suffered a stroke, a, um, what was it? It was a, I always forget the, <laughs> you pronounce it. Cause I know I'm going to butcher it. The type of uh, stroke. Oh, I had an ischemic stroke. I, yeah. yeah. So, um, you, you had plans on visiting some friends over in Emporia, Kansas. You go out for a run during the day before the long drive over, uh, you running around, you feel pretty good. And you'll, you'll get all deep into this. So I'm just kind of setting the stage here, but you feel great. You jump in a car a little bit later, um, experience a little bit of shortness of breath, but nothing to worry about. Fast forward a few hours later, you land in Kansas and, um, things don't go as planned from there. You, you were fortunate enough. Your boyfriend is a physical therapist and so started to recognize some signs, but you, you started sort of, um, experiencing some things yourself. And so, um, again, we'll go really deep into this, but just kind of setting the stage here of what, what kind of where, not this story ends, but the sort of the crescendo of the story here. Um, you're getting ready for bed and what happens? Yeah, I was just laying in bed and I, I felt like my face was, it felt funny. Um, and then when my boyfriend looked at me, I guess my face was drooping, but I, I didn't know that's what exactly was happening. And then my arms started to go numb, um, which are actually two of the most common and easy to remember signs of having a stroke is arm numbness and facial um, drooping. And I also then when I tried to stand, I had no balance. I had lost all function in my legs. Did you feel like was your um, was your subconscious like did you were you signaling to your arm or your leg or whatever? Like could did did it feel like it was like it was gone or, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it kind of felt like my arm had went numb, like as if I had been sleeping on my left side and, um, cut off the circulation or okay. something. So but, you could sort of feel it from within your body. You just couldn't make it do what you wanted it to do. Yeah. For like, I, I kind of like went into this like outer body experience. Like I knew I was telling him my arm was numb but I felt like I was hearing myself telling him, like I didn't, it felt like I wasn't fully there. The and were moment. you, were you actually saying the right words and everything was coming out? At that okay. point, yes, that later, point. not so much. <laughs> okay. All right. So we'll go, we'll go deep into kind of your, your, um, the, the trip to the hospital and all that stuff. So I, you know, I mentioned at the top here, I've known you for a long time. You're very fit. You're marketing director, um, at New York Roadrunners before you joined us over at Lifetime. 
Um, you kicked my ass in a 5K uh, Jerrica race in the office. I think you're like your first week in the office. You're, <laughs> you are no slouch when it comes to fitness and running and stuff. What is your, what's your background here? Yeah, I, I grew up playing a ton of sports and in high school, I started to narrow that focus down to cross country and track and, um, placed seventh in at nationals in the freshman mile and went on to, um, you know, have some school records and county championships and et cetera, and went on to, uh, compete for St. John's university in New York, um, in the big East on a scholarship, and captained that team for three years, um, had a great time there. And then I shifted into college coaching for a bit. So my original desire before marketing kind of landed in my lap was that I wanted to be a coach. And I coached at the collegiate level, um, was a head coach for a little while, and then moved into the high school level. And at that point, also began coaching with New York Roadrunners, um, coaching athletes for the New York City Marathon. And that turned into a marketing gig there, which then transcended my uh, marketing career out in Colorado. I made the move from New York to Colorado, continued running, and now I'm loving cycling as well. Yeah, it looks like it. We'll touch on that a little bit too, because that was one of the, as amazing, I mean, you look amazing. We were going to try to do video today for some testing stuff and it didn't work out that way, but you look, I mean, you would never know it. I mean, you're what? Eight weeks, seven weeks in, seven weeks since? Yeah, just after two months. Okay. Um, yeah, and you would never know it, but I, I'll, we'll talk about your, um, <laughs> your amazing finish, uh, finish out in it, uh, the Kansas gravel, um, Duro. So we'll check that out. But, um, so, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, you certainly made your, the most of your St. John. So you graduated with look like an MBA. Um, um you know. yeah, I went, I went through grad school for a little bit and, okay. um, actually didn't finish my master's. Oh, okay. My Never career mind. started taking off and <laughs> I, was like, well, I could either pay for another year of my master's because my yeah. scholarship ran me five years or I just keep working. And I always swore I was going to go back and here I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. But I certainly no slouch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, I graduated with a degree uh, in English and business law and philosophy of law were my minors. And I thought I was going to go to law school, but the world had other plans and I actually had this amazing boss out in New York when I was just coaching and she stumbled upon some PowerPoint I did and called me up after my like temporary gig was over and was like, I see something in you and I want to throw you a bone and I'll test you out for 15 hours a week. And if it works out great. And if not, like we're not tied to anything and I didn't even know if I wanted to be in marketing. So I was like, whatever, I'm looking for work. <laughs> and I think two weeks later she made me full time and I grew wow. there under her purview. Um, so she really, she saw something in me I didn't. And um, as a manager, I feel like that's what I hope to channel. Um, it's all, of those, all, all of those little opportunities that come along in life. I've, I've yeah. in the, in the 10 other episodes so far of this podcast, like I, everybody has those sliding door moments that just, you know, they're amazing, you know, and you always have to be ready to walk through them. So congrats on that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I've been trying to get out of this industry forever, but I keep asking like, where am I going to go? There's nothing cooler than this. <laughs> oh yeah. I have always been like, ah, oh, just working events for a little bit. And here I am, like I've been working my whole career so far, young career, but so far I haven't left events and I still love it. Yeah. So well, you, don't it, <laughs> it definitely shows. So it definitely yeah. shows. Cool. So, um, so you're, um, you know, I'm, I'm 
again, kind of trying to establish here just your personality, the, the, I guess your, the traits that have made you who you are. And, you know, again, maybe there's, I'm no doctor by any stretch, but the, you know, were there warning signs, those types of things? I mean, were you, um, just when it comes to the brain function and all that kind of stuff, I mean, you, you know, a high level, very educated, um, are you a workaholic or were you, you know, were you, are you the type to just grind yourself into the ground for 20 hours a day working? Um, many would probably say yes to that. Um, I, I definitely do work myself pretty hard. Um, and sometimes I need to like put the brakes on there. Um, I love what I do. So that's a huge reason for that. Um, but I, I am a workaholic and whichever, whatever facet of my life that is. And I think that's a a virtue and a vice. Yeah, it, it can be certainly. So, um, the, um, the, the night, the night that this happened, was there like when you put on your hat and you think about like, God, I ignored something, I missed something, you know, there was some thing that was staring me in the face and I wish I would have listened. Was there, was there any of that? Was there any indication from your childhood or earlier on or anything? Truly no. Um, the only thing was a couple of days beforehand, I had a little episode where I had some facial numbness going on and I also had a mouth sore at the time. So I just, I mean, I never would have made the connection that that would have anything to do with like potentially passing a clot through my brain or anything. And I just uh, went to the dentist, like I did take action on it and he thought it looked okay. And that numbness subsided in a day. And there's a thought that I potentially was having a TIA, which is a mini stroke. But otherwise, like even looking at that day, I did go for a run and every couple of steps I was taking, I was having to stop because I just couldn't catch my breath. And it was around the time of the fires um, out in Colorado and the AQI wasn't that bad that day, but it was, it wasn't great. You could see some lingering smoke and I came home and told my roommate something was going on, but Again, like I, I didn't think much of it other than like, maybe I'm not in shape and I thought I was or something weird. Like maybe I have some lung sickness going on. Um, And later there's no way to backtrack what happens with a clot, but there's a, there's a thought from my cardiologist that I potentially had a pulmonary, pulmonary embolism or Mm. something prior to moving into a stroke, um, that's not confirmed, but it's the only theory. Yeah. It's, yeah. Was it a particularly hard day? Were you, I mean, was it a, you know, it was kind of a long, slow day or was it a, oh, it was like I was just jogging with my dog yeah, like it could have been easy as well, wow. but yeah, it just wasn't happening for me that day. And yeah. I had to get on the road and I was a little frustrated because I felt like I've been pretty fit lately, but it just didn't make sense. Like I wasn't doing intervals. I was, I was yeah. jogging. Yeah, but it's tough because we always have those days where you just don't feel it and there's nothing that would necessarily, you know, in retrospect, sure, but there's nothing where you don't want to go rush into the hospital every time you're you're just not having the day you want. Yeah. And I mean, even now there's no evidential proof that that's what was going on with me that day. There's a good chance that I had had the clot while I was sleeping and it went to my lungs and then my brain later in the day. Mm. But then there's also the theory that's still possible that there two were unrelated and ironic and the clot happened while I was driving. And 
there's there's no way to really know. Wow. Or no true signs. The signs tend to happen in that moment. Yeah. Obvious. Wow. Okay. So I know you recently got a little bit of confirmation, which we'll get to. Um, I wanted to read um, a quote from a post you made actually on your Instagram, if that's okay. Um, so took one very expensive trip to Kansas city on Wednesday night on my very own plane. L- liked it so much. I decided to stay for a few nights. So this is like a day in basically, and you're already kind of joking about it. Certainly have a sense of humor about it. Um, in all seriousness, I started suffering an ischemic uh, stroke on Wednesday due to a blood clot that passed through my heart on the RHI stroke scale. I was 14 out of 14 with no cognitive ability to speak, stand, walk, etc. That's insane. And here you are. I mean, again, two months later, you would never know it, but I think it even happened faster than that on your recovery. So walk us through. So you're in bed. Your boyfriend is like, something's not right. What happens next? Yeah, I, I finally like got up and he was trying to like get me to put my shoes on because he's like, we're going to the ER. And um, he called our two other friends into the room and at this point, I'm like, I just said my arm was numb. Like, why is everyone going crazy? <laughs> and I like to kind of hear like distantly, even though they were right in front of me, them talking about the fact that they thought that I was having a stroke and there's another physical therapist there. So, I mean, they, they were just trained to recognize those wow. signs. They were putting me through a few tests and I was failing them miserably, I guess. Oh, wow. <laughs> but well, I mean, what kind be, of, what kind of tests? Just, just um, like my nose and okay. Um, so pretty simple. Yeah. Depth of perception type stuff. I, I, it's a little bit fuzzy for me, um, but I do know, and this is kind of crazy, but I was begging them not to take me to the ER because I was like, that would be very expensive. Like maybe we can just go to urgent care. I can like wait whenever this is out. And not understanding the severity of the situation. And they tried to get me to stand up again. And when I, I just like completely collapsed and I was like, okay, fine, we can go. Wow. <laughs> um, so they are you, just, are you scared at this point? Or are you just more kind of I started freaking out and doing this like really creepy thing where I was laughing and crying, but like really like laughing. And I guess my face was drooping. So oh, no. like the Joker, that was probably me in that moment. Oh, no. <laughs> I couldn't wow. walk point. So they like carried me into the car and we drove to the hospital and they carried me into the hospital. So in Poria, Kansas, how far are you from a hospital at this point? Luckily, um, from the nearest hospital, we were two minutes in the car. Oh, perfect. Okay. Which which is important to know that that was like taking as fast of action. The fact that I was in a hospital within 10 minutes of everything unfolding is a huge reason that I look and feel how I do right now. Okay, good. You can walk us through the why of all that. So, okay. So you get to the hospital, they, you know, they get you into the ER. Um, how long were you sitting there? Doctor, look at you right away. Obviously stroke is a big, scary word. So. Yeah. So they carried me in and it was like, my boyfriend was freaking out, but then the girls behind the desk and this is COVID times also. So there's like plexiglass there and they were freaking out. And at this point I was like kind of in and out of consciousness. So part of this is what I remember. And part of it is what I've been retold, but, um, they brought me over a wheelchair and put me in it. And I started hallucinating at that point. Um, my friend, I was telling her that I like had left my phone in the bathroom in the hospital lobby. And like, there was no bathroom in the lobby and I was pointing to it and I could see it in my head, but there was nothing. 
Um, and they, they got me in right away. It was like very hectic, lots of commotion going on at this point. It was maybe 1030 at night okay. at this time. So I, they took my info from, from Corey and, um, got me in right away at which point I was blacked out. So you went, you completely lost consciousness. I don't know if visibly, if I lost memory or if I lost consciousness, okay. I'm, I'm not totally sure. I don't believe that I was unconscious, but maybe I was, um, I actually haven't spoken about it in this great oh, detail. Interesting. Okay. So are yeah. you, um, so while this is all happening, are you, are you able to communicate? Are you lucid? I mean, other uh, like when you come back to what's, what's kind of going on there? Yeah. So I, they, they, um, administered aspirin or some sort of clot blocker the second that I got in there. Okay. Um, they did do like a stroke analysis on me, um, which is what I was referring to the RHI stroke scale. It goes up to 14 and, I was a 14 out of 14 um, when I entered the hospital. So 14 out of 14 is basically like vegetative state, essentially. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, people come down from this at all different, you know, they might come down to a seven or could take some time. But I luckily, and maybe it's because I'm young and healthy or I don't know what, because I got there so fast, but I did come down to a zero as they ranked me. Um, within an hour. Um, but when I, when I don't remember a lot, I know that we were doing some analyses that gave us that, um, outcome. And I went and got a head scan and went the, the first thing I really remember is being like wheeled out of the head scan. Um, and the nurse was trying to talk to me and ask me questions and I could hear her, but everything that I was trying to say was not coming out of my mouth. Like if she asked me, where are you from? Or what day is it? Um, she asked me what day it was. And I said, Colorado, but I knew what the, oh. I knew that that wasn't the right answer. And she kind of asked me, do you feel like, you know what you need to say and you can't say it? Cause I started to get emotional and I just nodded my head. So she at least knew I could hear her. Yeah. I, I just couldn't like the words were not coming out. So did you, in your mind, were you, were you hearing, like in your mind, were you saying whatever Tuesday, you know, August, but it, but literally then you heard the word Colorado. Yeah. So it's like, you have this translator in your brain, just saying different random things. Yeah. And I was saying really random things. <laughs> I mean, that had to have been terrifying. Yeah. That's what made me the most emotional because I was like, what is going on? But I couldn't even say what is going on, <laughs> wow. but that's what I was because I could hear it, I could answer it, but then like what I was actually hearing my mouth say had nothing, like not even remotely close. Like it's not like I meant to say Colorado and I pronounced it wrong. Like I was talking about my parents being from Ireland. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Was there, was there a time when you were, um, was there a time when you couldn't communicate, like where you were sort of lucid and saying like, Hey, I'm Michelle, how am I doing? And, but nothing would come out. So um, at the, when I was falling into it and when I was coming out of it, okay. definitely. Um, and I would say that when I started to definitely be like way more aware coming out of that scan after it happened rather quickly, but I could talk, but it was very like slow 
And I mean, I was able to get up and go to the bathroom, but at the same time, I think everyone thought that I had come down from it, even myself. Like when I look back in those moments, in the moment we were like, okay, now I'm coherent. And I was able to have a conversation on the phone with my parents, though um, it was a very tired conversation. Mm. Um, It was not until like, when I reflect back on that whole experience, I'm like, wow, I thought I was like, then I thought I was really cognizant and coherent like an hour after that. And then two days after that. And I think actually like my self feeling like myself took a few days longer than I realized. Hmm. I bet. Yeah. Wow. When are you, when are you fearing for your life ever? Um, only in that one moment where I was coming out of the scan and I didn't know what was going on. I think where I'm at an advantage, um, compared to those that were around me was that they were seeing me go, they were seeing my symptoms and I wasn't cause I was either not cognizant enough or I wasn't, um, awake at all. So they, they were watching that stuff happen and they were the ones controlling the situation. And I was just kind of like, what's going on? Wow. <laughs> uh, I think it's more when I have taken a few moments to reflect back, like I, I've been trying to move forward, but sometimes I'll reflect back. And when I have, it's been like, wow, I don't think I've ever like addressed how scary it was, but it was maybe even scarier for Corey, my boyfriend, or for my parents who were sitting in New York and like the only information they were getting was from phone calls every couple of minutes, giving them an update. Like that was probably scarier for them. And they were probably fearing for my life more than I was in the moment. Right. How far a drive is it from Denver to Emporia, Kansas? It's seven and a half hours without stop. So usually it takes me around eight and a half hours. I would say um, I did it in just under eight hours this day because I had left a little later than planned and I was trying to minimize the amount of times I was like getting out of the car and rest stops. And again, COVID was very real. So I, I wasn't getting out and moving um, to the same extent as I usually would. Do you ever think about that eight hour window where so many bad things could have happened, whether you're way far away from a hospital or you could have wrecked your car on the freeway or. Yeah. I think it's um, what's affected me the most when I look back on that is like, when you go to Emporia, Kansas, it's a more rural area in the Flint Hills of Kansas. And you get off the, you get off I-70 and you eventually end up on this highway, but it's a one lane each direction road with, you know, there's no floodlights. There's, it's just you in the middle of nowhere. And I didn't have cell phone service out there. And I was, I mean, I was out on that road driving by myself with my dog. Like he couldn't call 911 for me. Um, <laughs> I should train him, but, um, but it could have happened 30, 40 minutes prior. And yeah. if it did, like I would be in a different situation. I wouldn't have been able to contact anyone. I could have wrecked my car. I wouldn't have been near a hospital. So that, that, um, reflecting back on that is scary for sure. Wow. I bet. So Emporia, Kansas, it just occurred to me, were you there for, for your job? Were you there for Unbound, which was previously Uh, Dirty Kansas? I, my significant other lives out there. So, um, I met him through work though. I have one of my offices that I work out of is in Emporia. Mm. So I go 
there frequently. Um, and this was kind of like a routine trip. Like I'll go out there every month these days. And um, this was just another drive. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Mostly I hated the drive. Like I, I dread those drives. <laughs> I'm from New York and anywhere over an hour and a half is considered a long drive. And I hear you. Colorado, Kansas, it's like normal to drive for eight hours. Yeah, I hear you. So you're in the hospital. Um, you are starting to come through. You said like within an hour you were back down to a zero. Yeah. Although sometimes I wonder, like, I think I was definitely able to be communicative, but I knowing myself and knowing like the progress I've made since then, it's like, I was not normal okay. in that moment, but I, I mean, technically I passed the tests and I was considered like not, um, at risk, but what, what the decision then was, was, and it's the, the word of it is slipping me, but it's like a, a very serious clot blocker that they administer. Um, but the problem was that they couldn't confirm like exactly what caused my stroke. And if I was hemorrhaging or something and they administered this um, clot blocker, it could have killed me. So it, it was a, um, a risky decision on whether to do it or not. But the fact that I came and they were about to administer it because there wasn't really many other options. Like the extent of my stroke at that time was so serious that it seemed like that's what we needed to do. Um, and they were going to fly me to Topeka, I think. Um, but then when I started to be able to talk and they were like, can you get up? Can you stand? And I could, then they decided to call that off just wow. because we didn't, it was too risky. So uh, that, I think that was a scary moment for like Corey or my parents, just knowing like the risk that was associated without all the answers, but not really having other options. But after that, then we were able to like slow it down and evaluate where they sent me. And um, instead of going to like Wichita or Topeka, I forget where I was going to go. Uh, they decided to send me to Kansas City. Okay. Um, to and then how long were you there for? So I, I flew from Emporia to Kansas City. Um, and I'll say like Emporia's airport, it's, it's not really like, not an airport, it's you know? A, so. It's not O'Hare. No, this was uh, just me and a pilot and two nurses. Um, That's why I joked that it was a very expensive flight. I had my own jet. Like an episode of Wings, just you and a little hanger. (laughs) Got it. Exactly. Um, And we had argued for me to go in an ambulance, but they felt that it was really important for me to to fly there. So, again, I guess just because I felt okay, I didn't mean that I should so much. Um, and I was in Kansas city until Friday night, so it wasn't too long. I was there for two days. Okay. So when I, when I'm a pretty, pretty unflappable, I don't get scared or nervous or anything like that too much. And when we, when my first child was born in the hospital, it was like, yeah, cool. You know, we finally have our son, this and that, everything was great. I remember though, leaving the hospital and having to go home without that safety net, I guess, um, you know, the safety net of the doctors and things like that. I remember when the door closed behind my wife and I, when we got our baby home, that's really when the fear set in. Were you, when you left the hospital, because at this point you don't even know why this thing happened to you, you know, you're not a smoker, you're not a drug addict, you're a super healthy 29 year old fit person. 
Yeah. Did you have that? Did you have that kind of like PTSD ish type of like, it's going to happen again? Yeah. And I mean, I've had those thoughts a, a couple of times, especially after I got out of the hospital, but I think when I first felt like scared was I left the first hospital and I was like being ambulanced to the airport. And it was the first time I was like by myself. And I think I was delirious enough that I was okay in that moment. And I was like, Whoa, why am I going on a plane? And it was confusing at the, at the first hospital Newman in Emporia, because they were like, we've never really seen anyone go from such an extreme stroke to being able to communicate that quickly. Like maybe it wasn't a stroke is, is what we started to think about. And, um, so I flew there and it was like, when I got to Kansas city and now I'm in this like bigger hospital completely by myself because my boyfriend had to drive himself there and they're like rushing me around and doing all of these tests and tests and tests. And it was like, I started to fail these depth of perception tests. Like I, I couldn't touch the fingers from my, like, you know, I had to like touch their hand or, and then they started doing some sensory on my left side and I didn't have any feeling on my left side. And that's still something that's not totally there yet. It was like in that moment that I was like, oh my gosh, like something serious has actually happened to me. Like, this is crazy. But I think I remained pretty calm. It was like when I got home from the hospital and like trying to go to sleep one night and like my arm went numb, but it really because my arm just went numb and another time like I felt like I couldn't breathe but I actually that went on for a while and I think it was actually anxiety more Mm than um, another stroke but not knowing all the answers definitely got in my head a bit yeah are you uh like are you an anxious person by nature or do you pretty you've always seemed pretty chill I feel like I'm pretty chill I think I channel it right I do have a tendency to like let it build so Mm -hmm. I'm just like chill, chill, chill. And then it's like, ah, all these things are going on. And I just need to like, no one talked to me for a day, yeah. but that's like, that, that's like a buildup and not really a common thing. Like, I yeah. think I've, I've been very like chill. I try to just be like, think through things and it very matter of fact, like if I'm upset and I want to tell you, it's matter of fact, if I'm dealing with this crisis and we need to handle it, it's matter of fact, like I always try to take that route and I, I think it's paid off for me in life in general. Sometimes I wonder if I do that too extremely, like in this situation. Mm. I I, know I post, you read a quote from one of my, my first posts after I left the hospital and just letting people know what was going on. I also was like hearing from everyone. I just couldn't get back to everyone. So I felt like I should just put something out there. And I also yeah. like, I want to make people aware that this can happen to anyone. And it's funny because I like felt completely like, on it when I wrote that. And like, sometimes I read it back and it's so matter of fact, I'm like, that doesn't like the humor and everything is me, Yeah. but the sentence structure, like I'm usually a little bit stronger of a writer. And I'm like, that was like, you weren't, you weren't that okay yet. (laughs) (laughs) When I read it back and just like all of my side effects that I have, like I definitely the most aware of everything. Wow. Well, it's crazy to, I mean, just to even read that. And cause I was going to ask, um, earlier when you, when you got down to the zero, but then you're like, well, I don't think I was really at a zero in retrospect. My question was going to be like, well, if you stayed there, Mm -hmm. could you be a happy functioning adult 
like was, were there enough negative side effects do you think at, still at that point or would you have been I think it maybe would have been more obvious like okay. My team would probably not admit this to my face, but there have been moments like I, this is going to sound insane. You asked me earlier if I was a workaholic and I said, yeah, probably. Um, I had my stroke on a Wednesday night and I was working on Monday. And that's insane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it also was like good for me. Mm. I thought um, anyway, but stimulation is good for me and just like having intellectual conversations. But where I think other people maybe noticed it is like there was, and I'm much sharper now, but there was a slowness to my thought or like sometimes I would lose a word and it that happens to everyone. And some people would be like, it, it's okay. It happens. But there were a few moments like in meetings that I was leading where it, it crossed into the awkwardness yeah. area. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't know what I was talking about. It was just, just it was a little awkward. Everyone knew I had a stroke and I just, was losing my train of thought or couldn't pronounce a word. It felt a little dyslexic mm. at times. Um, but I think that's wow. gotten better. And I also think that I am a quick adapter and I maybe even like listening back to this, I'll recognize it. And I am sharper now than September, but I started to just like implement some pauses when I would speak to give myself time to catch up. If I felt like I was like, uh, starting to lose where I was going with a thought or something. I would just find a way to backpedal or pause so that it, I didn't feel so insecure about it in the moment. Yeah. Um, but I, I just feel like what, what I felt in the hospital was also like cloudiness. Like, mm. I don't know what that would have been like in my day to day, but I definitely like, it's still fuzzy to me. Yeah. And I was supposedly like totally there. God, what if you got way better at your job all of a sudden? <laughs> I like last week was the sharpest I had felt in a really long time. I also was burnt out leading into, you know, COVID has thrown us some, um, been a tough year and our jobs have not been the same in the event industry. And even though we didn't have events, like it seems like, well, we don't have events, so we should be like fresh as daisies, but we were trying to just like pivot and pivot and pivot and pivot. And there would come up with like alternate activations. And then also you're going through this massive rebrand of the world's biggest gravel race on top of it all. And so there was just so much going on um, into it. So maybe that's why I feel so sharp, but I feel like I'm back. (laughs) Good for you. So the, um, uh, you mentioned the, um, you know, you go back to work right away. The stimulation's good. Is it so it must be different from like a concussion where you're supposed to sort of be in a dark room, very little stimulus, um, as little as possible. Do they encourage stimulation at that point? Or do you know, did they, did they ever tell you or did you just go do it? You know, I did ask about work and they said like to go back when I felt like I was ready. I don't know if they necessarily thought I would go back in three days, but I did have to get like cleared and I spoke to the hospital and they're like, if you feel okay, I mean, there's, nothing wrong with that. And I was careful about it. Like I was back at work, but I also, my first like month and a half coming back, like I needed to nap every day. And that was probably a huge part of my recovery. Um, but something that we didn't talk about, I'm sure we'll probably get into side effects, but 
I later learned like I wasn't sleeping at night. I, I would just dream and dream and dream and dream. So obviously I wasn't ever entering deep sleep. And uh, I think that was a huge reason why I couldn't get through a work day. I didn't know that where my stroke happened was in my thalamus, which borders your epithalamus, um, which contains your penile gland, which produces melatonin. Oh. So there's a chance that my melatonin levels are really low and or maybe not producing melatonin, which I didn't find out until just a month ago. So mm. that that affected it. But they encouraged me like exercise, especially as a fit person, getting back into exercise helps uh, like your thalamus controls your coordination, your depth of perception, your consciousness, um, your emotions a bit, uh, which thankfully I don't think that's been so bad for me. I've had a few moments, but um, exercise, fitness, like that's actually a huge recommendation coming mm. back from a stroke. Even those that aren't fit, like they encourage them to walk around, yeah. uh, do different like coordination drills and exercises. So exercise and stimulation, like having conversations that were forcing me to get uncomfortable and forcing me to think for me was better than me sitting there and like watching Netflix and feeling sorry for myself yeah. and not talking to anyone. Were you worried, um, whether you were in the hospital or shortly after that running was gone? Like, did that ever enter your mind? I know that's an important part of your life. Yeah. Um, or biking, not, you know, not, like balance wise or anything. They did communicate to me from the get-go. Like I, they knew that fitness was a huge part of my life and they communicated back to me, like, you need to continue doing those things, uh, especially because the stroke does affect the like emotional side of your brain and um, anxiety, depression is, is extremely common and I can understand why. So I did force myself right back into it. I rode my bike was on the back of my boyfriend's tandem. So like he was definitely more of the work, but, um, we went for a bike ride on Sunday and then I rode my own bike on like a Monday or Tuesday. Um, admittedly, I definitely ride more than run because of my knees. Like I've just wore my body out. So, um, but yeah, I was back out there a couple of days later. Were you scared? I was from a breathing perspective. I felt like I couldn't catch my breath and my chest was really tight. And it was kind of funny because my rides were actually half decent, but I felt like I was very, very paranoid about my breathing. Like there were a couple of rides where I guess I mentioned that I didn't think my emotions were that bad, but there are a few rides where I told him to just go ride by himself because I felt like I couldn't breathe. Mm. I think I've later discovered that I was experiencing anxiety because that turned out to be okay. Um, but the other thing that would freak me out is my depth of perception is a little bit off. And when I would be making turns, like riding straights, I would notice it. Like I would see my tire somewhere, but I'd be looking somewhere else, but it's very easy to adjust on a straight road. Like, okay, just move your tire to where you're looking. But when you're taking a turn, it's less like that. Like I would find my line and you're riding on gravel and where I found my line, like when I would make that turn, that's not where I was turning. So that would sketch me out. And I was a little sloppy. Was it visual or physical? Like, was it your, was it your, <laughs> sorry, was it your motor skills or your, your visible picking the line? I'm not sure. Like I know that it, depth of perception, like is, is what I struggled with probably the most, um, going through all of my like tests that I needed to do. And 
I guess it was, it's maybe both like where I was looking wasn't where I was going. Like those connectors weren't happening. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Have you read, have you read a lot on the subject since? Like, do you, have you read other people's stories and what they deal with and, and discovered a lot of commonalities? Yeah, definitely some commonalities and like what caused my stroke, like other young people have experienced similar things. Um, I definitely think I've been very lucky that I've come out of it as well as I have. And I'm glad that a remnant side effect for me is like my sensory on my left, my left side and not so much uh, something visible, like still having face drooping or being collapsed on my left side. So I've definitely, my side effects like hinder my day to day way less than what it could have been. That's interesting. Um, I'm going to read another quote if that's okay. Um, so bending down to pick up, uh, wait, I miss bending down to pick up some things five times before making contact, not feeling much on my left side, missing an easy catch tossed to my lower left, waking up in the middle of the night, feeling like it's happening again. All these little things are minute in the big picture though. Yes, I killed this little part of my brain, but the human body is amazing. And the rest of my brain is recalibrating to compensate for the losses. That's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) Are you noticing like this, um, like, can you picture this sort of like healing process in your brain going on where you, maybe you couldn't do something yesterday and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, it works. Yeah, I think especially, I keep coming back to depth of perception, but that was something really obvious and emotional for me. Like I was spilling things all the time or like reaching for things over and over and over again. And that's gotten way better. I've definitely had a couple of moments that have still happened, but I'm able to brush it off more because it got to the point where like I would reach for my glass of water and like not pick it up. Mm. And that was so hard because it's, or like I would miss my mouth or something. And I feel like, everyone that's been in my corner has been in my corner. So it's not to take away from all the support I've had, but so often people are like, that's normal though. Like everyone Mm. does that. And you're like, no, this isn't actually normal. And like, yeah, maybe you miss something once in a blue moon, but like, that's not, it feels different in your head. Like you reach for your cup and you miss your cup. It's not a big deal. You just grab your cup, but it'd be like focusing on it and still not making a connection. And like you, but you're looking at where you want to be. And I've seen improvements there for sure to the point where it barely crosses my mind at this point. And we're just two months out, but there have still been a few moments, like multiple times when I'm trying to put dog food in my dog's bowl, because it's like, I'm aiming somewhere and I'm not actually making contact and I'll miss. And I'm like, damn, I'm still a little off there. But at the same time, like, I think it's important to remember that you never really recover from a stroke because you don't get that part of your brain back. It's not like an injury that then heals. Um, and it's not like an injury that you can put a pin in either. It's like, I had mentioned, we didn't know if it was actually a stroke as sometimes people have TIAs or mini strokes or whatever. When we got to the hospital in KU and they did more um, imaging on me, like it is confirmed that I did have a stroke and that part of your brain doesn't come back to you. Like that is dead. It's, it's dead tissue. Wow. <laughs> and there's no, 
healing, no like exercises you can do to fix it. But what does happen is like you only use something like 3% of your brain. Like it's, it's insane. Um, I don't want to misquote, but I think it's something like that. And there's other parts of your brain that kick in at different times, but the, the thought, the way it's been explained to me is you're seeing progress because other parts of your brain that aren't used all the time are able to compensate. So like I know this isn't exactly how it works, but like, let's say this part of your brain like helps the healing process. So you have the flu. You, well, I don't have the flu. So my brain is able to cut that, that part of my brain is able to compensate for mm. what's dead learns how to do all these things over and over again for you. And thankfully, most of the things that I need to relearn are, are not life hindering. Yeah. But if I do have the flu, then I may see some of my side effects become more prominent because that little part of my brain is now shifting to like what its task is supposed to be. And then it leaves this like little dead section more apparent. That's fascinating. I didn't, I didn't realize I've, I've no one in my, luckily knock on wood, we don't have a history of stroke in my family. I've never studied. I didn't realize that it's just dead and it's not coming back. Well, and yeah. you know, wow. I wonder if they can turn off parts of your brain for a time, then you develop and then they turn that part back on and all of a sudden. It's, it's kind of fascinating, but even if you look at the image of the brain, it's like, it's kind of like if you like I have arthritis in my knee. If I look at an X-ray of my knee, it's kind of cloudy because mm -hmm. now the bones have kind of well. That that's what it looks like when you have a stroke. It's like a like a spot. Wow. There <laughs> of just like it's not live. Huh. There you yeah. go. Well, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you have they have they come any closer to figuring out what happened? Yeah. So right now we've discovered that, um, I have a hole in my heart so that they're generally, um, referred to as a PFO. And then the, the type of hole I have, um, was called an atrial septal aneurysm. So 20, basically everyone like quick science lesson, I'm learning all of this stuff, but everyone has a hole in their heart when they're a fetus okay. um, because it's how your blood passes through from the mom. And when you're born that those two chambers, they kind of, they close. Um, and 25% of people that around 25% of people, their chamber actually doesn't close all the way, but it closes almost. So okay. it's so minor and they get along with their life like normal. There's something like 2% of people have a larger hole. Um, and that can allow blood flow to go through like your heart, you know, you have your blood come in, it's like dirty blood, then it goes to your lungs, gets clean, then drops down to the other side of your heart and then gets pushed out through your body. Well, these chambers are basically where the dirty blood is held and the clean blood is held. So there can be some overflow of, I mean, I call it dirty blood, but like deoxygenated sure. blood that's going over there. And it's, it's funny because they asked me like, do you have do you feel fatigued or dehydrated a lot? And like, that's what my friends always tease me is I'm always like, I feel so dehydrated. Mm. And they were saying it's because like when they did the test, um, to see how my blood flow was, I just had like a pretty consistent source of deoxygenated blood moving across my heart chamber and out to my body. So who knows, maybe I'll be a better athlete after this, but they're discovering that yeah. I've 
I've possibly had some deoxygenated blood flowing through my system. Um, But I also have what's called an ASD or an atrial septal defect or aneurysm, where instead of that hole just being a hole, it's like this like wavy, um, it's really, it's rare, Hmm. um, but it's a simple fix. So basically the thought is that I had a blood clot and typically that blood would go out to your lungs to get cleaned slash break down any clots that you maybe have. Oh, interesting. But because I have this hole in my heart, the clot was able to pass mm. before it went to my lungs straight through to be pushed through my body and it my heart sent it to my brain. Wow. Huh. The, the one thing we haven't discovered is why, like uh, lots of people in this situation, um, they have had a like rare blood disorder, um, still like don't know like a blood clotting disorder they're actually discovering that young um recovering covid patients are seeing blood clots um, but i tested negative for the antibodies and and covid so that was ruled out so we don't actually know that part which is Mm. you know a little bit scary but we definitely know how it happened and how we can prevent it and it's a pretty invasive surgery um, where they go and they just go through your groin up to your heart put a piece of mesh in there and tissue grows around it and it blocks that hole and then, you know, it should eliminate the. Wow. Modern medicine. Yeah. So, so many. It's funny. You, you mentioned like, are you, are you short of breath and dehydrated? And it's like, well, I live in Colorado. Like who isn't short of breath and dehydrated? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. There's so many signs that are so easy to, um, to just, again, like blow off. I mean, we've, you know, how many times have we gone out for that ride around, not felt right. And just been like, uh, I'll be better oh, tomorrow. And if someone had told me I had something wrong with my heart, I would have told you you're crazy. Right. I, mean, I was a pretty solid runner and I feel like I've taken to cycling pretty well. Like there, there was no indication that I had a heart problem. Yeah. So. God, look out, man. You're going to like, you're going to get smarter. You're going to get faster. <laughs> and oh. I'm going to be less fatigued. Oh, God help us all. We're going to be crushing it. <laughs> we'll see so you just did so most people um uh i think probably would have taken it a little bit easy you did i mentioned the race earlier and i can't find my notes on it now it's right in front of me but i can't find the name in all of this text um oh kansas gravel duro yeah so you're basically um two months out no you're less than two months out at this point right yeah, I think was that in September? That maybe? was you made the post nine twenty six. So yeah. Oh yeah. No, so I was three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. Michelle, come yeah. on, man. <laughs> Sorry, this is, my, this is my last quote. I'm going to read it though. But um, fourth overall female today, and one of my age, uh, and one of my age. Wait a second. And one my age group. Sorry, I, I, I only have use of my left hand right now, so I had to speech to text all of this stuff and it botched all my notes. So fourth overall female today and won my age group at the Bleeding Kansas Gravel Duro a year ago. I was fourth from last at this race and exactly one month ago I had a stroke. So within one year, you go from the back of the field to the front of the field. In four weeks, you go from a stroke to kicking ass at a race. Uh, And then you finish the quote by saying, this morning I was near tears because I missed the dog bowl with dog food while looking right at it. So speaking back to that depth perception, and I, I did have a question about that. So when you're, um, when you're reaching like for your glass of water or whatever, is it okay? I think my hands there, and I and I close it, and I'm off, 
or do you think you're grabbing the is it just purely sort of visual oh, i know that i'm missing okay it, okay i'm looking at it and i'm grabbing and and i'm off okay but got it yeah so i've like adjusted where I look and where my hand is basically. Got it. Okay, so back of the pack to front of the pack in one year. So that's a story in and of itself. Obviously, you've got some good genes and things in there. But um, um, so I want to talk a little bit about your training this year to go from the back to the front. And then just again, three weeks. Yeah. Are you worried about being out in the middle of a big gravel race and something happens to you? It seems like you've kind of overcome the fear side of this pretty well. Um, I feel like I like to force myself into uncomfortable situations. And at that point, it was like when I first started to realize that I maybe was having experiencing anxiety and maybe borderline depressed. Um, you know, no one really likes to ever talk about that, but I'm a very happy and calm person. And I just I felt like I wasn't, and I would also chalk some of that up to not understanding that I wasn't getting sleep throughout the night. So that is a factor, but I had been really anxious on a lot of my bike rides just, and going to start that race up <laughs> the day before I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't even think I want to do this. And, um, I was pretty nervous. I had never ridden that long, like previously, my longest, I had ridden it on a tandem, but like solo, I had never rode 77 miles before. And I knew I was like fit enough from everything I had done, but, um, but it still was daunting in that way. It was supposed to be a hundred degrees and it wow. was degrees. But the good thing about that event is like gravel duro style. You can like ride the segments as hard as you want and you can regroup. So I didn't ride the whole thing with, um, my boyfriend, but he was out there too. And we would like see each other in different areas. So that was nice. And we finished together. Um, so that was good. And I didn't really have, I kind of felt like I knew enough people that were there that if something were to happen, I would flag someone. Um, I was actually given the advice to like put a little piece of paper in my mm. bike bag, just telling someone like, this just happened to me. If God forbid something happened. Yeah. Yeah. How did you like that? Was that your first enduro race? I was just talking yesterday to um, Dave from Unpaved and Kelly, who won the female uh, race. And they, they because of COVID, they basically took their 120-mile race and kind of did an enduro style where the top, well, in this case, the top three women rode together and then would smash each other's heads in for the three-time segment. So did you like that yeah. format? I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and this race was my first race last year and it's always been an enduro gra gravel duro, they call it, but enduro style event. And what I liked about it is, and we can touch on this, but last year, like I had only been riding my bike for like two weeks before I went out there and I was able to ride with these two other women, um, in between all the segments. And then I would just like steadily ride the segments because I didn't care. And they would like smash it and wait for me at the end. And this year was a little bit different at the start. I was like 77 miles. I'm just going to like take it easy. So, I like cruised on the first segment and the second one, I was like, maybe I'll try a little more. And then as I started going, I'm like, this is fun. Like just letting, I mean, I'd never hit over 40 miles an hour on gravel before. And I did that day. And like, that was really fun for me. And like, yeah, just doing things, pushing myself out of my comfort zone. I got more and more comfortable as I went. It's a really fun format. Actually highly recommend for if you want to like ride with your friend or your kid or something like mm. you can ride. How long, is it, how long are the segments time-wise? Um, well, they ranged anywhere from like a five-mile time trial, which okay. was fairly 
that to uh, three quarters of a mile, like uphill, like okay. really brutal climbing. So you're not too far down course if you're if you're again smashing your head up against a wall on a segment. You can just hang out for a couple minutes and you're, yeah, you're going to regroup. That's yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I've talked to a lot of people so far on the podcast is with COVID, the um, and you're certainly in a position to affect this, is the, it seems like our industry got a little stale there. Like it, it, we were almost taking everything too seriously. And now that, you know, basically the wheels have been torn off the car and the windshield's been smashed, it's kind of like, well, let's make it into a boat. Who knows? You know, let's figure out what, what we can do differently now going forward. So I, I love hearing all the different styles of races and the ways that we can apply them to some of these tried and true things. Oh yeah, for sure. It's been fun to see. I think working for a large company like Lifetime, we have to be way more aware of putting on large scale events. Like that's our focus where mom and pop, like individually owned, locally run events definitely are handed a little bit more grace, which is totally understandable. Their field sizes are smaller. Their um, longevity, like their ability to continue to produce races is dependent on being handled with grace and working with local officials to find ways to still bring money in so that they can survive. So it has been really interesting this year watching the event industry change and seeing these little events be the ones that were like attracting some talent that normally they wouldn't or people going to like different parts of the country than they normally would to do a race because it was like all that was going on. And even uh, watching pros shift away from racing and tackle personal challenges has been really cool to see all of that happen. Um, but then from our seat, we're like, okay, we're ready to like roll our sleeves up. And now I think athletes and event producers take on a risk by registering for an event. And I think yeah. athletes and event producers understand that. Like if you're going to register for an event right now, there is a chance that it may not happen. The event may look very different. And that's like a risk that everybody is taking. And now that we understand the dynamics a little better, I think that's like, we're ready for races this year. Yeah. I think you and me both. I mean, I, there's just like you alluded to it, the emotional component to it all, you know, it's so tough because there's, um, while I, I, I think that going out to dinner with friends is important and, and a lot of these other things selfishly, you know, I look at gym life, I look at riding and running, I look at racing. It's just, um, I mean, it's kind of the key to health, you know, the key to, to beating this thing long-term, um, you know, not to get too, too deep into that side of it, but it's just like, oh, come on. Like this is, we know the, we know this is good for people. Let's just keep doing it. Let's figure out how to do it, but let's do it. Yeah. Agree. I think so much of it is a lot of it is like local resources sure. and um, making sure that whatever plans we need to put in place are like lock proof enough that it makes everyone feel comfortable. Like, of course there are people that are just like, screw it. I want to race. And I don't care if it's a thousand people at the start line, I'll wear my mask. And like, I don't feel that risk, but there, there are other people that are like, I only want to attend events that I feel are completely safe for me my family and the community I'm going home to. Yeah. And I respect both sides of that. Obviously we as event producers lean more towards the, we want to protect local community, the community you're coming from, you, your family, everything. So when we look at these events that typically have thousands of people, it's 
Like now we need to figure out a way that we can still, you know, maybe they have smaller fields, but also like what other things can we do? Whether that's like alphabetizing packet pickup and you're assigned a certain time frame that you can come so that we're like minimizing foot traffic or breaking people into waves and reduce you each have your own start time. Yeah. So if you're not all in one big massive start and you know what, like some people that might upset because they're like, this race is known for the mass start, but it's like, we're not in normal times. So yeah. obviously it's hard to commit to anything because times are changing so fast. Like for some of our events, you need months to train and the climate right now could be very different in June or July or August. Right. So you're trying to like plan for four different scenarios. Like what if it looks like it does right now? What if it is totally gone? Like what do we commit to and what yeah. do we consider? <laughs> well, it's tough for lifetime too. And, and races like unpaved, like you're, they're such destination races. It's not like you can just kind of like hop out your car, run to the start line with a mask, you know, get whatever, 50 yards down, down course where you're sort of spread out, take your mask off, finish, get back in your car and go home. You're in Leadville, you're in Emporia, Kansas. You're, I mean, Miami, you know, uh, yeah. Chicago places like this, but you're, you know, you're typically in a hotel, you're eating out at restaurants, things like that. So, and then you have, you know, in a place like Leadville, you have the locals and things like that you have to, you think about. So it's tough. Yeah. It's, it's complex, but are really excited to be yeah. producing events this year. And we even have some new like event experiences that we're going to launch um, soon that will be like much smaller format for people. Like it's depending on your comfortability size, if you want to get back into like the camaraderie of events, but you don't necessarily feel comfortable doing a large scale event. Like we're, we're going to have some new opportunities there. Um, we'll probably announce around January time. So we're excited about that too. I think I know what you're alluding to. So I won't, <laughs> I won't let the cat out of the bag, but there's some things that I'm super excited about. I'm, I'm definitely going to do one. I definitely <laughs> want to do the podcast from some of them and definitely uh, like film some of it too. So there's some cool things coming, um, yeah. coming down the road on that one. So if you, if you can hear our voices, if you're listening to this, the uh, you know, as Michelle was saying, like, if you want to see these races come back, the best things that you can do is, is support them, reach out to them, let them know, Hey, we're here when, when you're here, here are some ideas that we've had here are the conditions that I would race under when you see in your inbox that there's a survey from your favorite race, just take a couple minutes and answer it. You know, these, there's, there's a lot of jobs on the line. There's a lot of people trying to do right by all you athletes. And so the, but they, they definitely need your feedback to understand the, the parameters with which, under which people will come back. So anything you want to add to that, Michelle? No, I think that's spot on. I mean, we've definitely made all of our like deferral and cancellation policies way more lenient than they ever have before. And like recognize that there's, again, there's a risk on, on all parties by registering for an event, but we also want that human touch and want to understand what makes everyone feel comfortable. Of course, it's also like, if you're not comfortable this year, like you have the option to wait until 2022. Or yeah. if you're, if you're more interested in, I'll, I'll use Unbound or formerly known as DK as an example, like if you are just wanting to ride 200 miles in the Flint Hills of Kansas, and that's your goal, your event experience and what you value out there is not going to be any different because the course isn't changing. Like you, your bike, the Flint Hills, all of that, like that doesn't go away. Same with Leadville, same with 
big sugar down in Bentonville. Like what the experience you're immersed in doesn't change. But if you're looking for the world's largest gravel event, which maybe it still will be this year, but like you want the 110 booth expo and the finish line party and just like hanging out in the pubs and <laughs> drinking in the street, like that is likely going to look different this year. So yeah. as people are making their decisions, I would recommend like the athlete in me is what are you looking for this year? Because if it's just to race your bike or just to, to race by foot, like whatever your trade is, like think about the experience you're looking for. And that should help steer the events yeah. that you select. I promise I didn't have you on to, to, uh, to talk, to talk shop. I'm far more interested <laughs> in your brain. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you a weird question here. Um, I hope this doesn't sound insensitive by any stretch. I mean it in the best possible way. Are you in some way glad this happened? Um, and put another way, like how do you how do you feel about it? Do you look at it as a challenge, baggage, an opportunity? Um, I think maybe all of it. Like I've definitely tried to take on this and I'm stealing this line, but I I'm stealing this line from Alexandra Houchin. She wrote this article when we were going through our rebrand of of DK um, and and why it was important. And she said, it's always important to look at every side of the proverbial box. And I feel like that is what I'm trying to channel right now. Like there's, I, I try to be a really positive person and like find the silver linings and in a situation like this it's really difficult to be like wow i'm glad this happened because it's provided me with x like it's not again it's not like i blew out my knee and i have kids and i'm like well i was at least able to go to more of their soccer game whatever it is like Mm -hmm. um, it's it's definitely heavier than that and i think i try to curtail the heaviness um, of it because it's upsetting. But if anything, it's like, I feel like I've maybe helped inspire those in my network. And I've also been trying to communicate to people like to know the symptoms. Like I said, it's like face numbness, um, arm, like loss of sensitivity in your arm, uh, speech slurring. Like I was slurring my speech and those are the top three. And then it's, it's known as fast. It's face, arm, speech, and then time to go, <laughs> like mm. time to go to the hospital. And I've, you know, I've been trying to share that. And, um, so that, that stuff is positive. Like I definitely feel that what I've went through has maybe offered some other people perspective <laughs> on what they're going through, but it's really hard to find the other silver linings and maybe they'll come back to me in the future when, um, when I have better clarity, there's definitely a little bit of like, why, but I also try not to, to hang on to that, um, too much. There's, there's a sense of baggage because for the rest of my life, like when I have children, like I'm going to be high risk. Like I have to say I've had a stroke. I have to say I had a stroke anytime that someone asked me my medical history and at 29, like that's not something, even when I, like trying to get my appointment with my cardiologist and neurologist in Colorado who are amazing. But 
it was like, oh, this is, you know, we're really booked out right now. And it's like, well, I'm 29. I had a stroke. Oh, actually, we have an appointment in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe that's if I've been, uh, it's not really, but th there's a sense of baggage and there's definitely a little bit of, like, I feel like I'm hyper aware of what is off for me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I just try to think about it as like, it sucks that it happened. Like I, it's really hard to find the silver linings in these situations and I'm, I'm trying my best and I'm just trying to communicate, give people my updates in the hope that it, I don't know, it helps them if they know someone that's in that situation. Um, but finding the reason why is like that, that's what I struggle with just yeah. like, or how, yeah. You just looked at 2020 and said, hold my beer. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm like, of course this would happen. It's 2020. <laughs> well, I have nothing but gratitude for you, um, coming on. I was, I was a little hesitant to reach out. Um, I was unaware that it even happened for a couple of weeks and it just came up on a call. Um, and so I really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming on. I didn't want it to seem exploitive at all. I really thought that you could help people who, um, you know, who are listening to this and looking for the signs and things like that. So I really appreciate you coming on and doing that. Yeah. Thanks for providing me the platform. Um, I think the more people know like that, again, like that's the silver lining here is like having more people that have went through these traumatic experiences that aren't afraid to share it. And I have been hesitant a bit. I try to share what I'm comfortable with sharing, but it's like, it's not good to just share the butterflies and rainbows, right? It's like, <laughs> also, you might not have went through a stroke, but maybe you're going through something. Yeah. And similarly debilitating emotionally, physically, and you just gotta like keep trucking. You know, what's funny is like movies and things, everybody wants a happy story, but I find in, in these types of settings and conversations, like, I don't know, the happy stories are boring. Like I want to, you know, it's, it's yeah. fun to talk about the DNFs and the crashes and maybe not the strokes per se, but the things that you went through and overcame and, you know, that there is a light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the happy ending thing, it's like, well, there doesn't have to be a happy ending. It's just that I'm like, you just got to keep, keep on like, keeping on going like that's real life. Like maybe you didn't have a stroke, but like life could suck right now. You might not have a job. Like there are so many other things that could be going on in your life that are also like bring you down. But yeah, it ultimately the happy ending is like where you get to. It's like your destination. Yeah, totally. Are you up for some uh, 10 question dash? It's I'm going to ask you 10 questions. You just have to answer honestly. No finger crossing, no fibbing. You just got to answer okay. honestly. All right. I promise they don't hurt. All right. Yeah. So we're going to get our theme music going here. All right. So question number one, next race, two wheels or two feet? Two wheels. Two wheels. Uh, mountain road, gravel, or basement? Yeah. Gravel. Okay, gravel. Gravel it is. I knew that was coming. Uh, <laughs> winter, spring, summer, or fall? What's your favorite season? Fall. Oh. <laughs> 75% everybody says fall. Okay. Uh, i got to stop reacting to that one. Uh, worst running or riding experience? Oh, gosh. Probably endoing off my bike over the handlebars. Lovely. Where was that at? Um, I was here just training by myself like a year ago. <laughs> favorite race. What's your favorite race to uh, tow the start line on? Well, I'm two for two at the event we talked about, moving Kansas Gravel Zero. So there right now. That's good. Home stretch song or band on your playlist? Who gets you across the finish line? 
Oh boy. I don't listen to music. Okay, well, that's fine. That's fine. So I want to, well, you can still, I'm sure you have a playlist hidden somewhere. Who is the most embarrassing band or artist on your playlist? Oh, some, I mean, Ed Sheeran, obviously, oh. like my artist. That's funny because um, I think most of the guys have said Taylor Swift. And so Ed Sheeran is sort of like the Taylor Swift no. on the other side. Perfect. Uh, favorite training partner, human or animal? And who is it, I guess, if you want to answer that? Well, running, it's my puppy, Porter. He's amazing. Love uh, and riding, probably my boyfriend, Corey. Okay, good. Good answers on both. Uh, living or dead, who would you most like to share a long run or ride with? Oh, oh my gosh. I would love to pick Reggie Miller's brain on a ride. He's been, like, really vibing with riding these days. and The like, Reggie Miller? The Reggie Miller. That's yeah. like my favorite basketball player of all time. So, <laughs> absolutely love him. Absolutely love him. That'd be an interesting person. I never even thought about that. Uh, someone, uh, Dave from uh, Unpaved yesterday said Samuel L. Jackson. So, that's a good answer. I feel <laughs> like that was, I panicked, but I still I stand by my answer. Okay. No, I, lo I would love it. And I would love to talk to him about that uh, Knicks final so many years ago, the Western or <laughs> the Eastern Conference finals. That was great. Spike Lee, get it all in there. Uh, Pre-race <laughs> pre ritual or superstition? Are you superstitious? Um, I just have my like, I have my like stretches and like, I do the same stretches before, but that's really it for me. Yeah, yeah. no, no, that's good. Okay. All right. Final question, Michelle. What is the secret? What? Just in general. Just in general. What's the secret? Uh, I guess I'm going to be redundant here, but it's just like keep trucking on no matter what facet of your life it is, work, personal relationships, or athletics. There's always like another page to turn. Keep trucking. Love it. That was a great answer. Thanks. That's cool. Any parting words for us? Other than Not keep trucking? Yeah, I mean, hopefully I can see a bunch of faces next year in a safe and COVID uh, reduced environment. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to events again. That's for sure. I think it's good for everyone. Well said. Well said. Well, um, honestly, just nothing but gratitude. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been great. It's been really nice talking to you. Great. Thanks, Troy. All righty. Well, let me see if I can do this again with one arm. I'm going to go this way. So. I'm going to close it out here. So, and that is the show. So I hope you've enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission. Thanks again to Michelle Duffy for so candidly sharing her story. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We want to hear from you. So leave comments on our socials. We are at Athlinks across the board or shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. Share it with friends far and wide. Give us a review if you dig it. And until next time, happy racing, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for letting me ramble. <laughs> it was the perfect amount of ramble. <laughs>